Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. of the Lord. Amen. I want to remind you this coming Saturday night at 6 o'clock is our Christmas banquet and uh, at um, Sisters Cafe it is a prepay and, it, and then for adults it is $18 and for children 4 to 10 it's 12 children under 3 is free. This includes everything including gratuity and uh, tonight is the deadline for that. You can pay in cash or check or online all of that is set up and uh if you know of someone that you could bless to help them be there, then just do that. I know it's a busy time and uh, many, many events like this to attend, but uh, if we can do other things, let's certainly make sure we're doing church things and uh, let's be together and be strengthened by that. We'll be blessed and it'll be a blessing to others. And don't forget that on December the 29th is our commitment and communion service. And uh, it is a fifth Sunday, and so we'll have a one-service format. That will be followed by uh, dinner in the dining hall. And so we want you to make plans to be a part of that. Certainly want you to prayerfully consider 2020, what we can do for our global missions efforts and our North American missions efforts and for the future of our church. Amen. And so we want you to consider that, ask God what he'd have us do as we move forward with those things. We're excited that on uh, February the 9th, we're going to be able to uh, just finally got the date secured last night, but we're going to be able to introduce a new evangelist and his family, new to us, not a new evangelist, but a new to us, uh, brother and sister T.J. Jackson will be with us on February the 9th, and we're looking forward to that. I met brother Jackson a number of years ago at General Conference, and uh, I just felt like it would be a wonderful thing. So it's been a little while and getting our calendars together and catching him on this side of the United States. But we're glad that it's happening and we're looking forward to that. It's good to be in church tonight. It is good to be in church. If you have your Bibles and will join me in the book of Colossians chapter 2, we'll get to verse number 1 down through verse number 5 in just a little while. But if you will join me in Colossians chapter 2, I want to talk to you this evening from this subject, a life worth living. I have heard all of my life, uh, as far as I can remember, and I heard this recently. I've heard people say, if you were to take heaven and hell out of the equation, I wouldn't want to trade this life for anything that I know. And so I've, I've often said something like that or that, and then uh, to think about how that we cannot uh, in our own finite minds, understand the beauty or the majesty of heaven, nor in like fashion can we understand the horror of hell. There is absolutely no way we can comprehend that in our mind, but we can relate to what we feel here and uh, what we feel in the presence of the Lord, what we feel in prayer and things of that nature. 
So I just want to underline with the help of the Lord tonight, and I want to join leagues with the Apostle Paul and tell you that this is a life worth living. It is worth whatever it will take. There's a well-known singer-songwriter that rose to uh, international stardom in the 60s. He experienced by um, just by the force of their stardom, he experienced every pleasure that life could afford an individual. In uh, short succession, he was a um, multi-multi-millionaire and uh, had everything that life had to offer, or so it seemed. In his 50s, he was diagnosed with a disease that would eventually take his life And he did pass away at the young age of only 58. After having experienced all the successes that we would think one could experience in life, and then having to deal with a terminal illness, he was in a unique position to understand that there was more to life than fame and success and money, things of that nature. And so during his last days, he was quoted as saying, After you have experienced success and met all the famous people and made lots and lots of money, you find yourself asking this question, is this it? Is this all there is to it? And when I read that quote, my mind just immediately went to the book of Ecclesiastes and to Solomon, a man who compared to this man would, uh, there is no comparison perhaps, but who Solomon said, when you consider life and, and, and the sum total of it all, it is just vanity and vexation of spirit. Solomon was perhaps the only person, or maybe should I say, no one more qualified than Solomon to make a statement like that because Solomon had certainly drank out of both sides of the cup. And so this man had come to a conclusion that In truth, there had to be more. He understood what some have often said, that within us is a void that can only be filled with God. And I truly believe that all of humanity senses that fact. I believe that all of humanity senses that there has to be more. Is this it? That's why we desperately seek to fill it with all kinds of things, all kinds of things. We try to fill it with material possessions, with money, with entertainment or achievement or education. And, and of course, the list goes on and on and on because we're trying to scratch an itch somewhere. But none of those things are sufficient, truly, at the end of the day. A man by the name of C.S. Lewis is credited with saying something that I feel should be very eye-opening for all of us. It certainly is for me. He said, if we find within us a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, we should begin to wonder whether or not we were created for another world. If we cannot find satisfaction in this world, then perhaps it should become apparent to us that we are not created for this world that there is another world to come. Amen. And so I believe there's a lot of truth to that, a lot of power in those words because all of us have a longing. We desire to have a life worth living or a life that has a meaning. What is all of this about? 
Paul was talking about in the sense of if this is all there was, then we would be the most miserable people on the planet. I would be, the of all men, he said, most miserable if this is it. And so we desire to have a life that means something, that uh, that has some some sense of meaning, not just utilitarian or um, by, by that, I mean not just a practical life, not just a practical life, but there has to be something transcendent or something supernatural, something beyond just what we can dare think or imagine. Some have, some have called that a search for significance, and I, I think that's well put, a search for significance. We would like to feel like that somewhere in, in life's journey before it's all said and done that there was something significant or something that had meaning. But God is the only thing in truth that can give our life that significance or that meaning. Only God can give us what we're talking about tonight, and that is a life worth living. And so as children of God, as born-again Christians, we claim that we know where to find this life. That is our claim. We claim that this supernatural life can be found in Jesus Christ. We join leagues with men like the Apostle Peter when he said, to whom else would, would, would we go? For thou hast the words to eternal life. And so Simon Peter seems to sum total life in Jesus Christ. Where else could we go? You have the words to eternal life. And we amen that. You're amening that right now. We, we concur with that. We agree with that. Amen. We claim that this supernatural life is only to be found in him or the sum total of it is in him. We don't do that in error because even Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're not in error to think that the sum total of life can be found in, in the Lord. He also said that he had come. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly that there would be significance or that there would be purpose to your life. And so if you've received the infilling of the Holy Ghost, then I'm going to tell you, you have found a life worth living. It is worth pursuing. It is worth the investment. It is, it's worth the trouble. <laughs> it really is worth whatever you need to do to lean in and get what God has for us. That's the good news. It's news that we need to share with everyone everywhere we go. But I've noticed something troubling. I've noticed something troubling over the years about some people. There are some that claim to know the way, the truth, and the life. There are some that, that claim to know the I am, and yet they don't seem to be enjoying that experience. I'm not being cynical. I'm being honest. Amen. I see people that have the Holy Ghost, and yet they always have a downtrodden Spirit and a countenance, and that just seems to be their MO that I'm a Christian and I'm on my way to heaven and I'm ticked off about it. So that's how it feels. It just bristly and 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 uh, it just all you can do to generate a smile out of them. And that generates a question in me: why? Why? Why would we have that kind of persona? Why would we we let that kind of spirit be around us and a part of us, amen, if we claim that we have found abundant and eternal life, amen. I, I, I believe that we need to really question ourselves if we find the spirit of cynicism, the spirit of criticism, amen, the spirit of judgmentalism. If that starts creeping into our life, 
Amen. We need to take note of that and do something about it. The Bible talks about things that crept in unaware. Brother Upton used to say anything that crept in is a creep. (laughs) Amen. If it crept in, it's a creep. And we need to do something about creeps in our life. Amen. And so perhaps the answer to the question of why is, is found in asking ourselves another question. And that is what is it that we pursue? Or what is it that has our attention? You know, um, church is very much a part of our life, of course. Um, Church and ministry. And so a lot of times, even when we're not in church here, we're in church somewhere else or not involved in ministry here. We're involved in ministry in another way somewhere else. And uh, so we see a lot of things is what I'm trying to say. And and we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we are in pursuit of, and sometimes uh, I have to ask myself, what is it that we're chasing? What is it that we're enamored with? What is it that the world, we see people that get enamored by all manner of things that are outside the context, really, of God. And so what is it that we're chasing? What is it that we're in love with? What is it that, that has us so infatuated I, while church is a major part of our life, of course, we live in the real world and not in a vacuum somewhere. And I told my wife, as recent as Monday night, we were going somewhere and, and uh, while we were just riding down the road traveling, I, I just told her, I said, you know, it's amazing to me. Uh, I was talking to somebody in a business and they were talking to me about all the things their kids were involved in and, I, and how they were taking off work to go here and the other one taking off work to go there and they're just running, you know, just 14 directions making sure their children are plugged into all sorts of things and nothing wrong with any of the things their children were doing. But I thought the great lengths that people will go through to do something in life, and I'm, I'm just being honest now, And then sometimes in church, when it comes to church, if we don't get the fruit hanging so low within arm's reach, people say, well, I can't do that. Well, I can't do that. Amen. And we don't just live in the church world. I'm saying we live outside of the church world. And you see what great lengths people are going through. And and money doesn't seem to be an object. Time doesn't seem to be an object. Miles, how long, how far, none of that seems to be an object. But if we're not careful, we got to lob softballs in the church just to make sure people are connecting to the right things. Amen. Everybody still with me now? It's the truth. It's the absolute truth. But I'm telling you that this is a life worth living. Whatever we do to pursue here, it's going to pay off dividends in the end. Amen. Some, I was reading something the other day. I, I heard a man say something. I've referred to this through the years. I heard a man saying something one time, not connected here in any shape, form, or fashion. Um, I don't even know if they go to church, but he was talking about his son who was in, involved in football and things of that nature. And you could just tell that in just a short conversation, this man was living vicariously through his son. And so he's got his arm around his, his son, who's just a small young boy, and he said, this is my million-dollar ticket right here. It's like, my goodness, are you kidding me? And so we'll do whatever it takes to make sure that he is in the forefront uh, in, the, in this particular case, in the, in the arena of sports. When I'm thinking, and I was reading an, an article the other day, I don't want to even try to guess at what that percentage was, lest I be wrong, but the percentage of people that actually go from 
go pro in life is it's just it is such a wild shot. Well, what I'm talking about tonight is not a wild shot. This is not a maybe, cross our fingers, hope it happens. I'm talking about a life worth living. Amen. So I don't want to be chasing the wrong thing. I don't want to be pursuing the wrong thing. And so how do we actively pursue or or do we actively pursue or do we busy ourselves with other things? And so to that end, uh, let's look at our text this evening. That was a long introduction, wasn't it? Amen. (laughs) But I think we'll find some principles here that are worth, you know what I asked the Lord tonight? Help us. There are some things that are just going to end when this is over. Some things. When we turn the lights on, we're enjoying the electric right now, but in a moment, those are going to be turned off. A moment ago, we enjoyed some great singing and music, but in a little while, we're going to walk away from this building, and those are th- that, that song, the tune of it, we can take home, but the song we can't take home. The singers, perhaps, or the musicians, we can't take home. And so I pray diligently tonight, God, there's going to be a lot of things that happen in this service that we cannot take home with us, these tangible things. But I know there are some things that we can take home. And so I'm asking you tonight to put something in our heart, put something in our pocket, put something in my mind that I can take home. Amen. So let's take home something, can we? Who was that? What was the restaurant? Uh, Somebody help me here. Um, this has nothing to do with what I'm preaching, but it used to be it was called Take Home a Sack. No? Yes. Steak and Shake. There you go. Somebody who's saying no. <laughs> who was doubting me while he Take Home a Sack. Yeah. So we're going to take Home a Sack tonight. Amen. Let's. <laughs> Colossians 2 and 1. Colossians 2 and 1. God forgive the doubters that were present in this house a moment ago. In Jesus' name. Colossians 2 and 1. For I would that you would, I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. This is Paul, the pastor, writing to the Colossian church. And if you remember, um, when we began this when we begin talking and teaching from the book of Colossians about the church of Colossae, this is a church that Paul actually never visited. He just wrote a letter. He had never been there. The church was started as an end result of his ministry in the, in the life of someone else. But he said, but he said, I have great conflict that I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So there were people that were affected by the life and ministry of the apostle Paul who never actually met him in the flesh. And so uh, if we consider this tonight, some other translations of the Scripture that I use for the purposes of study use the word conflict here as the same word as struggle. And so Paul says, you just don't have any idea the great struggle that I have for you. Amen. That conflict or, or struggle. And so if we're honest with one another, I think we would all agree that we aren't crazy about things that we know are going to be difficult or things that we know it's going to be a struggle. And as a rule, we don't like to struggle. And so if we have a choice between struggling over something or ease and comfort, <laughs> not a big contest. Struggle is going to lose every time. On the other hand, if you've lived any time at all, you have to admit that most things that are worth anything at all come with struggle. And so my wife, sometimes she will tease me, at, and she's fixed a meal, and she said, now I know you're going to really enjoy this meal. She said, because this was a lot of trouble. 
And uh, because it was a lot of trouble, I know that you're going to enjoy that. And so it really is true that many things that are worth, there's a few uh, things in life that we enjoy to do, but we know that there's going to be some struggle, some some little bit of, of struggle with that. And I, I'm not talking about really striving without purpose or conflict, without meaning or struggle, without some type of purpose, but I'm talking about that sometimes that is the end result of just plain out hard work. <laughs> And there's just some things that are just the end result of just leaning in and working hard. In other words, most things worth having require some degree of effort. You've got to put something in if you're going to get something out. One man said to another man, you seem to be the luckiest person that I have ever met. He looked back at him and he said, you know what I found? The harder I work, the luckier I get. And so some people just wonder how in the world... Did they get where they are? They just got up every day and went to work. They just did what was right. And after a while, you reach a tipping point, and there is an accumulative effect. Am I right? Amen. And so uh, the apostle Paul wanted them to know that he was struggling for them. This word conflict doesn't mean fight, but I am struggling for you. And their spiritual well-being was his concern And it wasn't a passive concern. I am concerned about your spiritual well-being. And so he was investing his life for them. And so as an apostle, his primary task, as an apostle, I want you to hear me, as as an apostle, the apostle Paul, his primary task was to preach the gospel and plant churches. That's what apostles are. That's what apostles do. They preach the word and they are church planters. And so preaching the word and planting churches was hard work. He would have his plate full just preaching the word and just planting churches. Amen. But he was struggling for their well-being. In other words, Paul wasn't just planting the seed and said, well, let it fall where it falls. If it takes root, it takes root. He was looking back, riding back, reaching back to a church he had never even stood behind the pulpit of. He would preach and teach the truth. He would disciple converts. He would gather them into communities of faith. He would teach them how to operate as the church. He would counsel them and pray for them. As a matter of fact, I believe that one of the primary ways of Paul struggling, if we're going to use that word tonight, for the churches that he had established, I believe one of the primary ways that Paul struggled for these churches was in prayer. He prayed for their well-being. He prayed for their for the root spiritually to take to take place prayer is the primary way of waging spiritual warfare because we must never forget that our true enemy is not flesh and blood we wrestle not against flesh and blood amen our true enemy is listed in Ephesians 6 and 12 and that true enemy is principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places and you can't fight that with a sword in your hand you can't fight that with a rifle strapped to your shoulder you got to fight that in prayer, in prayer, Paul struggled so that others could know Christ. And those of us who know the Lord need to be willing to struggle so that we can know him better. Amen. All relationships require work. It's work to have a friend. It's work to have a companion. It's work to have a family. It's work. It really is. We love our children, but it's work to have children. 
We love them past even their infancy. We love them past their adolescence. But it is work to have children. Amen. Someone said the best thing to do when you have a child is to put them in a wooden barrel with a hole in it. And then through that wooden hole or that hole in that wooden barrel, you just feed them everything they need. And when they turn 16, you plug the hole. (laughs) Keys of successful parenting. It's work. It's work. Sometimes when everything's going wonderful, you just wonder why you didn't have 12. When it's not going so great, you wonder other things. (laughs) How far is the Amazon from here? And so all relationships require work, and our relationship with God is no different. It's no different. If we want a better relationship with a friend, then we have to put effort into that relationship. We have to build tolerances into our life in order to have friendships because we don't agree with every little nuance that our friends have. And so if you want to have friendship, you got to exercise some energy and effort and work. you got to build tolerances into your life. If you want a better relationship with your companion, you have to work at it. If we want a better relationship with the Lord, we have to invest the time and the effort and the energy. You have to be intentional if you're going to get to know the Lord better. It's going to require time in His Word. It will require time in His presence, which is prayer. And it's going to require time in worship, which is relationship. It's going to require time. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. But the lesson here is that a life worth living requires struggle, but it is worth the effort. (laughs) Yes, it is worth the effort. And so if we move to verse number 2, Verse number 2, 3, and 4. Let's look at this in Colossians chapter 2. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and into all riches of the fullness, full assurance of understanding to, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Amen. Well... How horrifying that last verse is. This I tell you, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And so the next thing that we're going to have to have in this life that's worth living is going to be an intentional focus. And I have talked about this a whole lot in the last little while about how easily distracted we are by the things in life. There's so many things that are going on around us and how difficult it is sometimes to just stay focused on the task at hand. In recent times, I'm not talking about just in the last couple of years, but in recent times, um, on I'm sure it's a very common computer program or word processing uh, program that many people use Word, Microsoft Word. But Microsoft Word has a function that you can hit the key, and it is something like that. It is, it's something about focus or something of that nature. And what it really does is that it takes the page and everything except what you're working on, it blacks everything out around it. And I, I thought, how? <laughs> it's on your computer, I believe. It's on mine. I'll show you after church. And you can just click one setting, and it blacks out everything around you. If you need some of those function keys, all you have to do is move the mouse or something, and it brings them back. 
but it is just to black out everything around us. The other day when I was using that function, I thought how neat it would be if you just had one of those buttons in your forehead. You could just, you know, when life is just pulling you in 17 different directions, you could just press that and it just blacked out everything around you but what you're working on. I mean, I know that's idealistic and, and I know it's beyond the realm of reason, but there is some truth to that. To say, God, help us to just turn everything else off. And the whole point of that is it so that you're not distracted by anything else except the blank page that is before you, the document that you're working on, because apparently you thought that was important. You came here and you started this document. So we're going to black out everything around it. And we're going to shut everything down but this. How idealistic that would be, because it is a real struggle to maintain focus. Paul's purpose in writing to these Christians in Colossians was to present Jesus Christ as both supreme and sufficient. Jesus Christ is presented as the supreme God of the universe. He is the creator, the savior, but he is also the sustainer of all things. And so in him, in other words, all things are held together. He is the glue. He is the adhesive that holds this. He is the sustaining force of the universe What would this world be if it weren't for the hand of God that is just holding it in place? So Paul tells us that in Christ we find these treasures of wisdom and knowledge and he also expresses his desire for us to explore all the resources that are available to us in him. Amen. Our understanding of Christ is important. Our view of Christ, I think, determines how we relate to him. If we think God is little and insignificant and he can't handle the smallest of tasks, then we will not go to him. I thank you, Brother Williams, for that illustration uh, tonight. I really am very serious, but if we view that God is large enough to take care of even the smallest issues in our life, then we indeed will exercise. And if that's what it meant was a prayer cloth poked in every little sand hill of our yard or every little sand hill of our life, then we're going to just put it there as a prayer statement that this is what I think. And I'm going to put my faith and confidence in God. Brother Bobby Gibson talked about it again as his father had uh, talked about one time uh, that they had a, a, a rat or mouse problem and so he prayed for God to somehow help them with it. They didn't have the money for an exterminator but God sent an old tomcat. You guys remember that story? And how the cat ate all the mice. Well, we can just mock that and we can laugh that to scorn or we can say, you know what, that's how big I believe that God, I can't pay Orkin to come. I can't pay somebody else to come and do this. I don't have the resources to do that but I serve a God who could just get Tom to come and do what Tom enjoys doing. Amen. God can handle it. Yes, he can. And so how we view him, that's how we relate to him and everything because unless we understand who Jesus Christ is and what he has made available to us, then we live in, in uh, pardon the word, but we live with a measure of spiritual ignorance of who we are in him and what we can possess in him. So we must do everything within our power to stay focused on who we are in Him. And the danger is that we might 
get off course. And, that, and, and Paul anticipated that because we can lose focus and get off course. In fact, he says that he is writing so that we would not be deceived. And that was verse number four, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. There's always a danger of getting off course. And there is a danger of listening to some new insight or some new revelation. And some people are so busy off chasing what they think is a move of God until they often miss a genuine move of God. I share this from my heart and sincerely, but I get confronted on many, many fronts because I am a preacher. I'm not bemoaning that, but I'm just saying I get confronted on many fronts because of that. So you're just riding down the road, minding your own business, going about your day, and all of a sudden the next news you know you're hemmed up in a corner and somebody's presenting something to you. And so not long ago that happened to me where someone sincerely, and I'm not making light of this, but so where someone sincerely said that they went to a meeting somewhere and, and the power of God was moving so strong. And this was a, this was, a, and this happened actually, this kind of meeting took place in many places around our nation. And they said the power of God was so strong until uh, gold dust was blowing out of the air conditioned vents. And they were sincere. Tears were in their eyes. And that was proven to just be a farce that they were somebody in the attic and they were releasing all this kind of thing that wasn't gold dust at all. And I thought, how sad that someone can just get in behind something like this and believe it hook, line, and sinker, and you're holding a book in your hand that says, Thou shalt. And I said, I don't know about that. Or a book that says, thou shalt not. I I don't know about that. It is so easy to get off course. It is so easy to get off course. Oil flowing out of somebody's hand. It is so easy to get off course. Paul said, let somebody beguile you. Let somebody beguile you. And so if we're not careful, we can chase what we think is a move of God and miss an absolute move of God. Let me tell you tonight that everything we need can be found in Him. His Him is Jesus Christ. We can find it all in Him. And so we need to focus on Him, get to know Him better. Amen. So many things conspire against us to keep us from staying focused. Amen. It can be any number of things that help us or to cause us to lose sight of the most important thing. We can become discouraged and lose our focus. We can let conflict pull our attention away from the more important matter. And so that's why the Apostle Paul said that we need to be encouraged in heart and we need to be united in love. Paul said it like this, that their hearts might be comforted and knit together in love because discouragement and and disunity work against our focus on the most important thing. The most important thing is Jesus Christ. Not my thought, my idea, my opinion, but the most important thing is him. And so when we encourage one another, when we pull together as a family, then we maintain our focus on him. So the lesson here is that the life worth living is going to require some work, it's going to require some attention and it's going to require some focus and you know what when conflict comes in amen to a relationship somebody needs to be tall enough to say wait a minute we're losing focus here 
We're losing focus of what the most important thing is. The most important thing in this context is Jesus Christ. The most important thing is the end result. Therefore, we've got to keep the view of the, the purpose in view. T.F. Tenney wrote a book. Of course, he did not was not the original author of this title, but he often was quoted uh, by the title of his book, The Main Thing is to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing. And sometimes it's really hard to keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus Christ is the main thing. And he has what we need because he is all we need. And so we've got to cultivate our relationship with him in such a way that he is the center of our life and not the border of our life. Amen. We ought to miss things for church and not miss church for things. Because if he is the border of our life, amen, if he's the border of our life, then that's just where we get when we get around to it. But if he's the center of our life, then it's God first. Amen. God does not want to have a prominent place. I mentioned this not long ago. He wants to have a preeminent place. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and I'm going to begin closing here with verse number five. Finally, at least for this evening, a life worth living requires discipline. That's almost an ugly word in our society today. The Bible says in verse 5, Though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness, the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So if we're going to be focused, then you've got a plan to be focused. And you have to work on being focused. It requires discipline. Just like we've got to have physical discipline to achieve physical goals, we've got to have spiritual discipline to achieve spiritual goals. Spiritual discipline is simply ordering our lives in such a fashion that we can stay focused on the Lord. It's building into our lives sufficient time and opportunity to get to know God better. Paul said that he was beholding your order and he is beholding the steadfastness of your faith in in Christ. And so what he is saying here is that they were disciplined in their walk with God. Or in other words, they had a plan. They knew what they wanted to do and they understood how we're going to get there. They were steadfast in their faith because they were disciplined. And I believe that one flows from another. If you're going to be steadfast in your faith, you're going to have to have some disciplines in your life. Without discipline, you'll never be steadfast. Without discipline, you'll be the complete opposite of that. You know, it's amazing how many people think that just living for the Lord will require nothing of me. Nothing. Many people believe that they can become just an expert in Christianity, so so to speak, without any real effort on their part at all. But that's not true because that's not true of anything else there is in life. If a person wants to become an attorney, there's nothing that will prevent them from becoming an attorney, but there is a process to becoming an attorney. In order to be a lawyer, you're going to have to go to law school. You're going to have to spend several years studying all aspects of law or at least multiple aspects of law. 
If you're going to become a doctor, nothing will prevent you from doing that. But there is a process. There is a, a path. You're going to have to, to, to go to medical school. You're going to have to go to college. You're going to have to spend years and years studying. And you're going to have to serve under other people. And you're going to have to, you're going to, have to intern and learn how it's done. And then, and then one day, not magically nor mystically, but intentionally with great focus, you're going to get a white coat and it's going to say M.D., But it didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened because someone was intentional. And yet some people that have never even read the Bible all the way through think they have all the answers to all of life's ills, and it just doesn't happen that way. If you're really going to know the Lord, then we have to discipline ourselves to study, not just those that teach, not just those that preach, but we need to discipline ourselves to the study of God's Word. We must discipline ourselves to prayer, And we must discipline ourselves to serve, to service. How can I do and what can I do? we got to have a plan and then follow that plan because it doesn't happen by accident. Amen. Let's stand. It it will not happen unless we make it priority. And so a life worth living requires discipline. We've got to be intentional. We must order our lives in such a way that we make a plan to get to know the Lord. I want to know Him. We must order our time in such a way that we prevent that we present in our calendar, in our clock, time to serve God. Make time to read His Word and to study His Word and to respond to His. His leading. And the bottom line in all of this is that we are called on to be proactive. Knock, and it'll be open. Ask, and you'll receive. Amen. Ask, it'll be given. God puts us in the driver's seat. We have to be the ones. And so if we want to grow in our knowledge of Him, we've got to pursue Him. In everything, we have to realize He is the sum total of it all. Amen. I need him. Praise God. Amen. Can we close with prayer tonight in this song and let this song really underline and confirm what we've been talking about here tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.